Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey folks, it's Brina Jadap here with a healthier podcast, founder of HealCircle.org. All of us seem to be suffering from some kind of a chronic issue, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or skin issues, autoimmune issues. And what we have found is that a lot of these have to do with how we process and digest our food. Here to talk today about Biome and his own personal journey, I'm so excited to welcome Momo Vujicic. Hi, Momo. Welcome. Hello, Rena. I'm doing great. Thank you. All right. I'm going to do a little intro, not to embarrass you, but you were probably one of the smartest people I've interviewed. Um, you spent 12 years at the Los Alamos National Lab. You were the leader of the Applied Genomics team. So I already feel I'm going to get smarter by the end of this conversation. Um, you're also the founder and chief science officer of Biome, which I have used on myself twice. And we're going to talk about all the exciting updates you have to share with us. Um, you are also the adjunct professor at the University of New Mexico and New Mexico Tech. And you also focus on product development, clinical certification, clinical research um, at Biome. Now, let's talk a little bit about the research you focused on because I find it fascinating. So you focused on applying modern genomics to the areas of gut microbiome, host pathogen and microbial interspecies interactions, pathogen detection, cancer biology, which is very personal and near and dear to me because I had colon cancer, as well as toxicology, infectious diseases, antibiotic resistance, which is on the rise, forensics. You don't do enough, Momo. You, you could handle a few more things, I think. Yeah, so, so all of those topics that you listed were actually in my prior career during my academic career as a scientist. So now at Viome, even though I, I lead our clinical research, we're very, very focused on health topics where Viome can make the biggest impact the soonest. And so currently we're focusing on chronic diseases that have clear contribution from the gut microbiome and nutrition. And these are chronic diseases that are just so prevalent. They are true epidemics. And so if we just look at four, four of the diseases that we're focused on, we're talking about obesity, diabetes, IBS, and depression. More than 50% of the global population suffers from one or more of those four diseases. Mm -hmm. That is staggering statistics. And unfortunately, we don't know currently what causes any of those four diseases. Now, there's quite a bit of evidence in the literature that the gut microbiome and nutrition are actually responsible directly for those, but no one has really translated that science into telling people what to do. So in other words, there's lots and lots of evidence saying, if you have this microbiome, you have depression or you, you have obesity or diabetes or IBS. However, um, I would, if I had IBS, I would already know that I have IBS. So you're telling me that I have IBS, that doesn't help me. It's really exactly. how do we translate that knowledge into what should I do on a daily basis? And that's really what Viome is about. It's translating these very complex, hard to understand molecular data into how do I live my life on a daily basis? Every single choice that I make, what is that? And Biome app guides people through that. And everything that we do, we do today is out of, you know, 
partially at least, out of my personal frustra frustration, having gone through this kind of a journey and, and defining what is it that Viome really needs to be about and what do we need to provide to people. So before we dive into how Viome has truly disrupted the gut microbiome testing industry and truly, to your point, created outcomes for people like myself or we've got something that we can execute on, let's dive a little bit into your background and your journey. Share with our listeners and our viewers yeah. a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, so, so I was a perfectly healthy, happy graduate student. I was 25 years old, and then all of a sudden, I developed an autoimmune disease. And so from the age of 25 until 40, uh, I was essentially diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. In fact, it turns out it was not an autoimmune disease. However, there is a whole spectrum of diseases that doctors call autoimmune. And the reason is because they don't really know what it is and they suspect because there's some kind of a uh, inflammatory condition or some sort of a joint inflammation or something like that. They suspect there is some sort of a problem with the immune system and so they name it autoimmune disease. And the reason for that is that then, then once diagnosed, they can actually prescribe drugs that slow down your immune system. And so today there are several classes of drugs. So these are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and also steroids, and also uh, lots of biologics. These are anti-TNF-alpha therapies. So there's a, a whole range of uh, drugs whose function is to essentially shut your syst immune system down to prevent this autoimmune disease. But no one really makes an effort to understand what causes these diseases and how to prevent the root cause. And so during my journey, which was extremely painful and, and long, we, um, I basically tried so many different diets. I went online. I, you know, I read about all, all the people who had symptoms similar to mine. And I read tons and tons of blogs and, and articles about this. And so I tried all of these different diets. As you know, if you just say you have some sort of an autoimmune condition and you look for a diet, you know, everyone says their diet treats all kinds of autoimmune diseases. That's right. And so I tried all these diets, you know, it's Mediterranean diet one day, then Atkins diet another one, then all of these different diets. And did you so, try the autoimmune protocol diet, the AIP as well? I did, I did. And it, it, does, it, it does not work, unfortunately, because it has red meat in it. And so, so uh, yeah, I tried vegetarian, I tried all these things. The last diet I tried was the ketogenic diet. I was really dreading it because I love carbs. Uh, but I tried it anyways, out of desperation, you know, but in my late 30s, my right hip was locking up. I was essentially heading for a hip replacement in my early 40s. And uh, many of my other joints hurt and I had other, other issues. And so um, I was starting to, you know, develop all kinds of mysterious things. And so I tried the ketogenic diet and after three months of being on it, I started developing memory problems, severe memory problems to the point where I would meet a person in the morning and in the afternoon I could not remember their name. And so I could remember their face, but not their name. And, and Which is odd because one of the quote-unquote benefits of the keto diet is that it really helps with brain inflammation. Well, I mean, that's, that's one of the benefits, but that's for certain people, but not for everyone, of course. And so for me, it was so detrimental that it really scared me. And I can tell you now that it took five years to recover from that memory loss. And wow. so... How long did you do the diet? On the months, keto diet? Three months, exactly. Three so after three months, I noticed... I noticed significant memory loss, and luckily I suspected that there was, it, was, it was the ketogenic diet, even though 
it's not reported by others to, to do that. And so, so I stopped the diet. I got scared of all these diet, the different diets. And so I went back to my normal Mediterranean diet that I grew up with. But unfortunately, my condition continued to progress and get worse. And so um, one day in December of 2014, I read a scientific paper talking about how a molecule, which is actually a carbohydrate from mammalian food products, can, can be integrated into our own body and can cause low-grade inflammation, which can lead to arthritis-like symptoms, which is what I had. And so I thought, hmm, maybe this is it. And so in February of 2015, I discontinued eating all mammalian products. And within a couple of months, I realized this was it. My condition was starting to improve much better than it was it had been there for years. And it took about a year to heal completely from my joint pain, especially my right hip. And then it took about five years to heal my memory. And so now I basically have none of those symptoms and my, the damage that the, the condition caused, I had reversed. And so it turns out that my, my autoimmune condition was not autoimmune. I was not reacting to my own body. I was reacting to a food antigen that's present in all mammalian food products. And for the listeners, they might find this interesting and they can do some research. It's called NU5GC. So it's spelled N-E-U-5-G-C. That is the molecule. And how did that lead you into sort of the whole creation of biome? Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, so, so during that journey of really being frustrated and trying to find out what is, what is wrong with me and how can I, how can I treat this differently from biologics and, and all these different drugs, I realized during that research, this was about seven, eight years ago, that the gut microbiome was really likely responsible for all these different kinds of diseases, nutrition and microbiome combined. And so... I, I created sort of a systems biology approach that I felt was once we can join high resolution molecular data and artificial intelligence, that we can really understand how our body functions and how nutrition and gut microbiome affect our physiology and lead from health to disease. And so what was needed was to develop a technology that actually can study the gut microbiome and the human body in a way that it had not been studied before. And so I changed completely my scientific focus from all those things you listed in my bio to focused on studying the gut microbiome. And so my team at Los Alamos National Lab developed this technology that we call metatranscriptomics, but it's basically analysis of gene expression and not genomics. And it turns out the gene expression is far more important than genomics. And I can go into that if you think your, your listeners yes. will benefit from that. Yes, absolutely, because I think... <laughs> Look, you know, look at it from a patient perspective, right? So I've been a patient. Um, clearly, I had gut issues at 35 because I got colon cancer. You know, you don't get to colon cancer. It takes eight to 10 years to manifest out. So clearly, I've had gut issues for decades before it manifested into something pretty, uh, pretty severe and dangerous. So with that said, as a patient, I've tried to keep up with, you know, the quest, the, the diagnostics and the genovics and all of these different tests that are in the market. So as a patient, it gets confusing to understand, well, what is the difference? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that. Okay, so let me give you some examples that I like to give uh, about the difference what Viome does versus what everyone else does. So everyone else studies the DNA or genomics. And so let's talk, and, and whereas we study RNA or transcriptomics or metatranscriptomics, depending on the type of analysis. And so let's talk about that for a second. So 
If you look at your body or any human body, every single cell in our body has the exact same DNA sequence. That's our genome that we inherited from our mom and dad. And so if you were to sequence your kidney cells and your liver cells and your brain cells at the DNA level, they would be absolutely identical. And so DNA is not very informative in distinguishing tissues that are vastly different. You know, brain, liver, and kidney are vastly different in what they, what they do. They look differently and they perform vastly different functions, yet every single cell in, one, in those tissues has the same DNA copy. However, if you analyze the RNA of those three tissues, the RNA is going to be vastly different. And the reason is because the gene expression in those three tissues is very different. So kidneys, of the 22,000 genes that we possess in our genome, the kidneys express maybe 2,000 genes that express, that perform functions that are needed to be performed by the kidneys. Liver cells express a totally different set of genes, and neurons in our brain express yet a totally different set of genes. So every tissue in our body only expresses the genes that are needed for the function of that tissue, even though they contain genes that every single cell in our body contains. So now let's translate that into a, a microbe, okay? So let's talk about an E. coli. So when you, when, when you hear the words E. coli, does that, does that sound good or bad? Definitely bad. Good microbe? Very That sounds bad. bad, right? People are afraid of E. coli because it kills people. But let's talk about E. coli. So what E. coli means is it refers to the species of bacteria. And that species contains thousands of different strains of E. coli, okay? And so let's talk about species and strains. So for example, a coyote and a wolf are different species, and they're quite different. Um, a wolf and a dog are the exact same species. They're two different strains, mm -hmm. and yet they're very different, right? Running into a pack of coyote, a pack of wolves, versus running into a pack of dogs is a very different experience because they're very different they, they're very different in terms of their behavior, even though they're the same species. They're two different strains. So let's go back to E. coli. There are strains of E. coli that kill people that are very, very pathogenic. And yet there are strains of E. coli that are absolutely necessary and required for our health. So you've heard of people who are anemic and they go to the doctor and the doctors say, well, you have poor iron absorption, right? Right. That has nothing or very little to do with people's genetics. It has to do with the fact that they have taken too many antibiotics, they have depleted E. coli from their gut, which is supposed to be there. And E. coli, we have co-evolved with E. coli, and we depend on E. coli in our gut to actually absorb iron for us. It's mm. a bit of a complicated molecular mechanism, but basically many strains of E. coli are required in order for iron to transfer from the, gut, from the gut lumen into our bloodstream. And so we can't say E. coli is a bad microorganism. When it's expressing virulence genes and toxins, then it may kill us. But the same strain can actually express very, very, very beneficial uh, genes and that help us absorb iron. And so it's really about gene expression. Let me give you one more very important example. If you look at many chronic diseases, they go through periods of relapse and remission. And so when we talk about IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, when we talk about rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, multiple sclerosis, many of these diseases, they go through these periods of relapse and remission. 
that has nothing to do with our genome, genetics, or DNA. Nothing. Meaning that when someone has depression, and one month they're very depressed, the next month they're not, their DNA hasn't changed. It's exactly the same DNA that they were born with. It's all about gene expression that changes. So inflamed tissue in IBD has a totally different expression from not inflamed tissue, but it's, it has the same genetics. And so Viome as a company has decided to go into the direction of gene expression and understanding how does food and how does the gut microbiome affect human gene expression and change our status from healthy to diseased and vice versa. Thank you so much for giving us that quick intro into how this entire digestive process works because I don't think we've truly understood for me, for example, Momo, it was such a revelation that it's not what I eat, it's what I absorb. And what I absorb is a highly complex process which involves how healthy my villi are, um, how good the microbiome that I have, you know, what's the diversity like? Because if I don't have the right diversity, then it doesn't matter how much scale I'm eating, I'm not digesting it, I'm not absorbing it. That's right. There was another interview that I did uh, with Dr. Zach Bush, who's doing some wonderful things. He's got a product called Restore as well, which kind of builds that interconnective communication. Because again, if they don't communicate well with each other, uh, we again end up with having a lot of really high quality vitamins and foods just sort of sitting there in the gut, not doing anything. And uh, so thank you for sharing this with us. And for those of you out there who are dealing with gut issues, you know, please understand it's not as simple as start drinking green juice or, you know, add this food. It's really first taking a big step back and really understanding yeah. what does my gut look like yeah. and what's missing and what do I need to add and, and what can my gut handle today? So Momo, lead us into that conversation now. Yeah. Describe yeah. how biome works. Yeah, that's, that's a huge topic. So the way I want your listeners to understand gut microbiome is the way that we should think about it and not the way the rest of the world thinks about it. So if you look at any other gut microbiome company, they're doing genetic testing of the microbes, which means all they can say is who is there, and that's it. They just know who's there. But it turns out that who is there doesn't really matter. It's what they're doing. And so let's talk about some of those examples. So for example, there's this sort of general movement these days to eat a lot of protein, you know, just eat more protein. It's good for you. Well, it turns out that not everyone's body can digest all the protein they're, they're ingesting. And what happens with the undigested protein? It ends up in the colon where the microbes that live in the colon can actually ferment the leftover proteins and produce chemicals that cause inflammation. And so these are chemicals that are called cadaverin and putrescine. And as you can see from their names, they're not good for you. Mm -hmm. And so these are, these chem production of these chemicals is a part of our inflammatory score. And so we can fine tune everyone's protein consumption based on our understanding of or, or measurement of when it's too much protein. So it's not just the, the, the amount of protein, but the types of protein. Let's talk about the, carb, the, the, the carbs. So People stay away from carbs because they raise blood sugar. But for every person, different carbs raise the blood sugar differently. And we now have done very, very large studies that 
have built machine learned algorithms that can tell every single person exactly what carbs they can eat and which carbs they should not eat in order to minimize their bl blood glucose. And so um, if you look at the glycemic index, that's an average glycemic index for humans, but none of us are average. All of us respond differently to different carb carbohydrate rich foods. And so what, what we have now is for every person based on measuring their gut microbiome, we can tell them exactly what carbs to eat and which ones to stay away from. And so all of a sudden, now you can eat carbohydrate foods without worrying about raising your blood sugar. When it comes to fats, for example, different kinds of fats have different effects on the gut microbiome and cause production of either beneficial or, or detrimental chemicals, and we see also production of those. Let's talk about short-chain fatty acids. So these are pretty, pretty big players in the gut microbiome ecosystem. So we all know that production of butyrate is very important for our gut health, and production of butyrate is performed using fibers. So the, the bacteria use fiber that we consume and to, to, to produce butyrate. And other bacteria will use other components of our food to produce lipopolysaccharide. And so we now understand from the ecosystem uh, angle, what is the total output of pro-inflammatory biochemicals, which are these lipopolysaccharides, and anti-inflammatory biochemicals, which are chemicals like butyrate, such that we can tell the amount of pro and anti-inflammatory signals that are produced by each person's gut microbiome. Now, more importantly than that, instead of just telling people, hey, your gut is sending pro-inflammatory signals to your body, we can actually reverse that. So we can, we can actually tell exactly for each person which components from foods their gut microbiome is using to produce pro-inflammatory biochemicals. And now our computer algorithms will move those foods into a void list. And therefore, you will not feed your microbiome food ingredients that it can use to produce pro-inflammatory biochemicals. We're denying it those foods. On the other hand, we say, aha, your microbiome if you feed it these foods can produce beneficial anti-inflammatory biochemicals. So our computer algorithms put those foods into, of, into enjoy and, and, and superfoods. And so basically for every single person, given their microbiome activities, and this is the key word activities, we can actually place foods into one of the four categories such as minimize, avoid, enjoy, and indulge based on providing their microbiome with nutrients that, that it needs to produce beneficial biochemicals and denying it ingredients that it can use to produce detrimental biochemicals. So we're basically modulating the biochemical activities of the microbiome so that it can provide a healthy environment for your own physiology. So the, the diversity and the richness of the gut microbiome, those are important metrics because in general, the bigger the richness, the greater the richness and the greater the diversity, the better. However, that's a general trend. You may have a high diversity and richness, but still your microbiome may be missing important functions that are needed to maintain your health. On the other hand, someone may have reduced richness and diversity, and yet their microbiome has enough diversity and richness to support a healthy ecosystem. So I wouldn't give up hope. I, for example, have a very... Uh, not rich microbiome, very poor microbiome in terms of total diversity and richness. However, I, I seem to have the fundamental functions. And so my microbiome results from Viome allow me to eat specific foods that enable my microbiome to provide a healthy environment for me. And so 
really the concept that I would like everyone to grasp is that there is no healthy and sick microbiome. There's only, you have a microbiome and as long as you feed it the right foods and avoid eating certain foods, your microbiome can turn into a healthy microbiome. That's true for most people. Now, some people have quite, quite significant loss of functions in, the, in terms of the gut microbiome. And so for those people, we do make recommendations to take probiotics and fermented foods. Um, so, and that's a growing field that's gonna expand even more. All right, I have to ask you, how does your microbiome look and what do you do to keep it healthy? Yeah, so my microbiome has quite poor richness, but with the Viome diet, I'm able to maintain my health and not have any health issues. And so that's, that's the power of machine learned algorithms and using mathematical equations and chemistry of the microbiome to actually make very precise recommendations as to what I should be eating and not. So I'm very happy with my diet. Are there things like sauerkrauts, kimchi, kombuchas that apply to everybody? No, there are no universally beneficial foods. There are some universally detrimental foods. You know, donuts, for example, are probably something what? that no one no. should eat. Yeah, and uh, things like that. But, uh, but there are really no universally, you know, like uh, my superfood is broccoli, but there are some people who have broccoli on their avoid list. The reason I asked about if there are some good foods like kimchi that apply to all is that kombucha came back on a avoid list. And the reasoning was, um, you cannot handle the sugar. And I thought it's six grams of sugar in a kombucha. How, you know, that's not a lot of sugar. If my body can't handle six grams in a kombucha, I'm in so much trouble. Uh, so I was surprised to see that even something like a kombucha came, came on a complete yeah. list along, of course, white rice. I totally get. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can have, uh, I can have white rice. Um, so you know, the mathematical algorithms that we have are not perfect. They're very good, but they're not perfect. They, they need more fine tuning. But the fact that they're concerned about blood sugar, that's because based on tens of thousands of data points that we have. And so that's, that's the best that we have. So in terms of clearly there's no perfect food for anybody. So anyone out there that's a proponent of a diet, according to you, is completely wrong because they're trying to make a recommendation that may or may not fit you. Yeah, so it, it's possible that you can identify one of these predetermined diets as beneficial for you and, it, and whatever condition you may have, it may go away. However, you really don't know if it may be causing other things. And so just recently, a paper was published on paleo diet, which is very similar to ketogenic diet, showing that heart disease metrics actually get worse after following that diet. And so, yes, in the short term, any one diet may make you feel better, but you don't really know if 10 years later you will develop another condition due to that diet. And so, and the reason you don't know that is because you don't have any asymptomatic markers to look at, whereas our very deep and very high resolution insight into the gut microbiome and soon uh, our blood, blood systems will be able to tell you exactly what works for you and what not. And so there is no one diet that's good for everyone. And there really, we shouldn't really bin diets into these prescribed bins. It's really all about, there are hundreds of different ingredients. And, and if you break down those ingredients into molecules, your microbiome doesn't care that we call something asparagus or wheat or rice. All it cares about is what are the molecules found in those foods and what can I, can I use those molecules for energy for me? Right. And for us, what's important is what comes out at the other end. What is the product of that chemical reaction that the microbes use to, to convert our food into energy? 
And is that chemical reaction producing something beneficial to us or detrimental to us? Here's something that I find uh, very interesting that I wonder if you've done, and if not, if it's something that you would be doing in future, which is testing the same sample population across seasons. Because again, if I step back and I look at how our body functions across different seasons, and if you look at the science of Ayurveda, which now is getting validated with science, um, demonstrating that yes, a lot of what they knew thousands of years ago was actually now coming out to be proven true. With that said, you know, my gut microbiome in summer might actually look and react very differently to the foods than how it might behave in winter. And so could we even say, well, really, you need to have a better sense of how your microbiome behaves across seasons? Is that something you've tested yeah. for? Yeah, so we have quite a bit of data on that. And so it turns out that seasonal changes in the gut microbiome are more pronounced in area that live more rural life and more depending on the agriculture where they consume foods that are found in the open air markets and foods that they produce themselves. And so, however, in, in modern Western countries, um, like the United States, we have all foods available 12 months a year. And so we don't really, we don't really have gut microbiome changes that change with seasons. However, I do want to say that um, as we age and as we consume different foods, that contain different amounts of antibiotics and, and preservatives. And as we uh, go through, for example, GI infections, and as we go through potentially antibiotic use, those kinds of events in our lives will lead to changes in our gut microbiome. And so over time, independent of the seasons, we observe changes in the gut microbiome. And as our gut microbiome changes, we have to adjust our diet. And so a diet recommendation today may not be valid three months from now because your gut microbiome may change in those three months. Mm -hmm. And so now your gut microbiome is different, which means you have to feed a different diet in order for it to stay healthy and, and, and keep exactly. you healthy. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, um, we, you know, so far we've talked about how the gut microbiome behaves and what we need to be aware of and the fact that clearly not one diet fits all. And so for true health, we really have to first understand what our starting point is. Now, I want to reconfirm with you, the gut microbiome can be improved. So just because you have a starting point doesn't mean that's your end point. It means the starting point. So you, you follow the biome recommendations, and you, then you get retested. And as I understand, you get retested yeah. in 90 days. Is that correct? Yeah. So our current program is such that um, our service currently, when people subscribe to it, lasts 90 days. So for 90 days, we, rec we provide recommendations. And after that, people have to retest in order for us to update their recommendations and provide them with the actual precise recommendations for their new mi microbiome because likely it will have changed over the previous three months. Yes. Got it. Before we dive into food sensitivities, I actually do have a question around, we've talked so far about how we can help our gut microbiome, but we know that there are things that we are all doing that actually hurts the gut microbiome. So I could again eat a lot of asparagus, which is my superfood, but if I'm on antibiotics, well, that's not going to help. Yes. Could you share, I mean, I, so now everybody knows about antibiotics because there's been a lot of discussion about it in the main media. Yep. Uh, antibacterial soaps, uh, those little alcohol wipes, you know, those are terrible. Yes. Um, oral mouthwashes, those are terrible. Those are terrible, absolutely. What would you add to those three? Yeah. Uh, of course, glyphosate. We know that that's a toxic killer of bacteria, so you don't want to be ingesting things that have been sprayed with it. Yeah. What would you add to those four? 
Yeah, so, so those are all the obvious ones, but let's talk about the hidden dangers. And so every time that you buy non-organic food, and especially if it's meat, you're likely ingesting antibiotics, even though they don't have to disclose that they're antibiotics. So for example, you go to the store and you find a meat product that's called all natural, right? Natural chicken. Your first thought is, oh, wow, that's great. That's probably very clean, doesn't have any antibiotics. It turns out that the food industry has convinced the FDA that the definition of natural for food products is that you, you do not modify the food after the animal has been slaughtered. So what that means is that you can feed a chicken large doses of antibiotics until the minute that it is slaughtered. And at that point in time, you don't add anything to that meat and you can call that chicken natural, whereas it is loaded with antibiotics. So that's a total way to cheat people out of understanding what they're actually consuming. And so if you're consuming non-organic chicken, you're likely consuming large amount of antibiotics that are going to change your microbiome very quickly and potentially destroy the diversity and destroy specific members of the microbiome that are needed for healthy functions. And so to me, that is the biggest problem currently. In addition, if you look at the ingredients list, they will talk about, they will mention things like uh, sodium benzoate. And then in parentheses, they will say to preserve freshness. And what does that mean? They added sodium benzoate during manufacturing process, which, is, which kills bacteria. So it's, it's an antibiotic, but they don't call it antibiotic. They just say to preserve freshness. What that allows the food industry is to produce that product much more cheaply than if they didn't have it. Because if they didn't have that sodium benzoate, they would have to have clean facilities where they have to worry about contamination. With sodium benzoate, they don't have to worry about it. And so they add sodium benzoate to prevent contamination and make the process cheaper. But what happens is now you're ingesting that sodium benzoate every time you drink a Coke, a can of Coke, or every time you, now they put it in canned foods, in jarred foods, in preserved foods. Mm -hmm. Here's one really frustrating example for me. You go and buy, uh, you go to a store and you look at sauerkraut in a normal non-organic grocery store. And there are six different brands of sauerkraut. All six have sodium benzoate. And so what did they do? They actually potentially fermented the sauerkraut, right? And right before packaging in jars, they added sodium benzoate, which not only kills those bacteria, but they now, when you ingest it, you kill your own bacteria in your gut microbiome and your oral microbiome, which means you go to the store to buy sauerkraut to enrich your gut microbiome, but you actually cause an opposite effect of that. That's really, really a shame. And so these are the kinds of hidden things wherever you see to preserve freshness, whenever you see an ingredient that it takes a chemist to understand what it is, you should not be consuming it. You make a choice that if you are going to find, you're basically, you make a choice. I'm not going to eat this food. I would rather skip a meal or not consume it at all than consume it and destroy my microbiome. Yes, you're not going to consume like a slice of bread that has PDHQ today and tomorrow you're going to develop diabetes. But you do that over time and, you, and right. different products have different things. Right. Over a period of 10 years, all of a sudden you have diabetes and you're like, I'm not doing anything wrong. What am I doing yeah. wrong? It's a chronic condition. And so choose organic food and, and choose to eat food that doesn't have, for example, um, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and now many other stores will have non-organic foods, but they say, they never used antibiotics and all vegetarian fed. 
that's a lot better choice than just regular natural chicken, for example. Absolutely. And I, something you just said, I think I just want to underscore it. When you get diagnosed with diabetes or heart disease or blood pressure or cholesterol or cancer, it did not happen overnight. And it didn't happen because of a, a wrong piece of bread that you ate yesterday. Yep. It happened because of accumulation of damage to your body over yep. decades. Yes. And we want you to know, Momo wants you to know, I want you to know that you can make a decision today to stop following that path of ingesting and accumulating toxins in your body on a daily basis. It's just a choice you make. You know, you make a choice every day of what tea to drink, what food to eat. Well, make better choices. You know, what have you found? What works? So after you've done, uh, made a terrible decision and felt good about it, what can people do to make sure that their gut microbiome is being recovered instead of back to adding layering on top yeah. of it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say in terms of the gut microbiome, you're not going to change the gut microbiome with one meal. It's a very tight knit community of hundreds of microbial species that have learned to live with each other. And so eating one meal that's not good for you is really not going to disturb the gut microbiome. Now, when we go over to the human physiology, um, that's a different story. And so, for example, as I described my condition, my immune system is sensitive to a molecule found in mammalian food products. And so for me, anything from mammalian foods is a no-go, and that's an absolute. In other words, if I'm not sure that I'm not going to consume it, I will not eat it. So many times I go to a restaurant and I don't eat anything because I'm not sure that I will not eat something that's bad for me. And for me, the condition is such that if I consume one dessert with dairy, I will be sick for two months. And, I, and, and to me, that's, that's a pain point that's just too great for me to even consider it. And so I will absolutely avoid. So yeah, but for most people, in terms of the gut microbiome chemistry, I wouldn't worry about one meal. Even okay. if you consume a food that's on your avoid list, it's okay. Doesn't mean that you should eat it all the time because then you will change the chemistry of that community and now you will, you will potentially over time cause illness. But just one off, that's not a problem. Let's talk food sensitivities. So my challenge with gluten and dairy is that it shows up. I did a couple of sensitivity tests and it always shows up despite my best desires for it not to show up on the red list, right? So it means it causes severe inflammation in my gut and it's both gluten and it's dairy. So... I understand you mentioned that Biome now has a food sensitivity test. Talk a little bit about that. How does that work and how are you different from some of the other food sensitivity tests? Yeah, so, so um, from the inception of Biome less than three years ago, we've, we've been wanting to be a, a, a systems biology company, meaning we want to look at the human body as a whole that doesn't just include the gut microbiome. It's a part of the story. It's a big part of the story. But we also, our physiology plays a big role and our immune system plays a big role in our health. And so um, I pushed really hard for this um, uh, food sensitivity test, which we just um, announced a couple of weeks ago. And so the food sensitivity test basically measures the reactivity of your immune system to different kinds of foods. And so there is a component of the immune system called immunoglobulins. And we know so little about this, this whole uh, part of our physiology that it's very frustrating to me as a scientist. And I'll give you an example of why. For example, the largest broker of, or the largest uh, 
uh, company that offers food sensitivity tests is called Everlywell. And while they're great and they offer a great product at a, at a good price, they have no science built in, which means that I heard from, you know, the word on the street is that they sold a million tests last year. They have no mechanism, no system, and no desire to actually learn from it, which is why the medical community continues to say that there is nothing there, that that's all food science. In fact, if you Google food sensitivity tests, top 20 hits are all about how this is yeah. pseudoscience. Yep. And the reason it's pseudoscience is because no one's put science into it. And so what we've done at Viome, before we even released it, we have integrated into our machine learning and into our, all of our data systems. So it's integrated as a systems biology approach. And so now, not only are we giving the test results to our customers, but we're following customers over time and we're looking at what conditions different food sensitivities are, 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 are consistent with and when, when those conditions go up, how does that affect food sensitivity and vice versa. Over time, we will learn very, very precisely which sensitivity in which person when combined with other features that we're measuring actually causes certain conditions. And I'll tell you my personal story. I had acid reflux for years. And I mean, this is so horrific because we don't know what causes acid reflux. Isn't that amazing? A trillion dollars has been invested into PPIs and drugs that suppress acid reflux, but no one has, has said, wait a minute, what causes this and why don't we get rid of the cause so that we don't have exactly. to put drugs on top of it? And so a phenomenal thing happened to me that I had acid reflux and, you know, for listeners who've had it, you know, you're, you're, you're popping tums all the time, you're sleeping, sitting up, it hurts all the time and you're frustrated because how can this be happening? I'm eating healthy, why is this happening? And so I did our food sensitivity test very, very early on, a year and a half ago when we were just developing it. And of the 40 foods, I was only sensitive to black pepper. Wow, that's interesting, I love black pepper and I enjoy it, I eat it daily, how can this be? I discontinued eating black pepper and three days ago my acid reflux went away and it has not come back. And oh, now wow. I've tested myself several times. Wow. My acid reflux is not just sensitive to black pepper, it is dose dependent. The more black pepper I eat, the more acid reflux I, I feel. And so now there's a connection between our immune system and acid reflux that no one knows about. And, but just because we don't know about it doesn't mean that it's not there. And so we're going to get to the bottom of how this works. And we're going to be able to really integrate it into our entire biomarkmentation engine and be able to add it in our you know, precise, you know, personalized, precise nutrition mm -hmm. and really be able to help more our customers than just individually offered tests. We already do that today. Before we released it, we integrated, we learned, we did beta testing. And so already our test is much more powerful because it's integrated with all of the recommendations that have to do with the gut microbiome. And this fall, we're going to release a third test, mm -hmm. which is a blood transcriptome test, where we look at, remember, gene expression? Mm -hmm. we're looking at gene expression for thousands of human genes in human blood. And so we now not only measure the immune system and the gut microbiome, but our own physiology at a very deep and very accurate level. And so really with the systems biology approach, we'll be able to understand diseases like no one has understood them, and more importantly, be able to reverse the chemical imbalances that lead to those diseases so we can not only prevent them, but potentially reverse them. And that's really, really exciting. It's very exciting, especially, I mean, we're just about to launch 
the Defeat Diabetes Program, which is a 14-day program with the amazing Dr. Vidge. And, you know, as I look at my own biome results, it's pretty clear which are the foods that biome is saying, well, look, you can't handle the sugar from this, so don't eat it. And so, again, from just a diabetic standpoint, the ability to take a test like this and be able to quickly isolate foods that might be creating trouble in your body and to just take them out. And sometimes, you know, we don't connect the dots. Yes. Um, we think, well, that's just six grams. That's, I'm told I can have X number of grams of sugar. Surely this is fine, but for whatever reason, my gut microbiome doesn't like kombucha and isn't processing it correctly. So to your point, you're already providing such rich data for patients to take that first step in saying, what are the things that I really need to take out? And what are the few foods that I really need to bring in to build strength and to build chi, as they say, into my body? Because chi is it, right? Cheese, I just came back from an acupuncture treatment today. It's chi, baby. It's what can you do to power, and I think sometimes we forget that this body is no different than a machine, and machine needs high-quality fuel. And so at the end of the day, that whole experience of breathing and eating and chewing and digesting, there's only one goal. It's to keep this body going. And so if you have symptoms, well, it means that the body isn't doing very well. I mean, that's what, that's what, you know, it's the equivalent of that uh, check engine light. Exactly. uh, that used to show up on car dashboards, right? Check engine, something's wrong. And, and that's but, what you know, but even before the check engine light comes on, even before the symptoms are visible, you know, there's decades prior to that that you can actually do something about it, meaning feed your microbiome exactly what it needs to maintain that health so that you never develop symptoms. That's really our goal. That's you know, the goal. Looking two to five years from now, Biome will be tracking more than a billion people over time and teaching them what to eat exactly so they never develop heart disease. They never develop any of these chronic diseases, and they will have the data based on their own measurements to know that that's the case. If you ask anyone today, will you get a heart attack? Well, how will they know? They don't know. There are marathon runners and athletes that get heart attacks. You just don't know. Just because you have a healthy lifestyle, whatever that means, you don't know. With our molecular data, we'll be able to tell people and see, and they will be able to see it on their app Nope, I will not have a heart attack. And we'll translate that into cancers and many other chronic diseases. So that's really exciting that we can digitize our body and understand what leads to diseases and what doesn't. And I also want to touch upon what you just said about, you know, you don't know what to eat. Um, Yeah, so the, the main advantage of our food sensitivity test over other companies is that if you do an, a standalone food sensitivity test, it may tell you that you're sensitive, let's say, to four different foods. So out of hundreds of different foods, all you know is I need to avoid these four foods. But what do I actually eat? Well, you don't know that. It doesn't tell you. It only tells you those few that you should avoid. What Viome does is based on the gut microbiome test, we tell you what you actually should eat out of those hundreds of foods. And that's a really fundamental difference because just because you don't have food sensitivity and your immune system doesn't react doesn't mean that those other foods are good for you. It does not mean you can eat everything else. As I described with protein and well, there's too many examples to list, but yes, that's a big difference. That leads to a question, actually. How many foods do you test for? We test for 40 foods currently, and the reason we limited it to 40 foods is because it's a very affordable test. I think it's a $50 add-on, so it's the least expensive te- food sensitivity test on the market, and we are currently developing an R&D program 
where we're likely going to add 100 or 200 foods, but with a completely new technology that will be about 10 times cheaper. And so at Viome, it's very important that we make everything affordable. If people can't afford it and they, can, they, can, they can't benefit from it, then it's pointless to have these fancy tests. And How did you decide on the 40 foods? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a complicated process, but it had to do with the format of the test, and it had to do with rank ordering foods based on the, the commonality of sensitivity to those foods and, and how common they are in actual foods purchased and in restaurants and so on. So, I should, so most yeah. of the common allergens, I'm assuming, right? So eggs and dairy and gluten. And exactly, exactly, exactly. Very, very common. So it's, it's very, it, basically our customers are getting the most bang for their buck. If they go out and buy some other tests, you know, they will start at $150 and go to $600. And if you have that kind of money to spend, go for it. But for a majority of the people, this $50 add-on will provide the most common information. And so that's, that's how we selected it. Like I said, once we develop a much, much cheaper technology, then we'll be able to bring in 100 or 200 foods. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, as I look to the future, as I look at, in our case, our vision is creating a new world of health. And, um, you know, Heal Circle is our vehicle for making it easy for people who do want to get healthy to join our heal circle and to, to make this the largest circle, make it bigger than a social network, make it the health network, a global health network where we all come together and we help each other and we, we find the right path back to, to living just a healthy life till 100 because we know it's being done in, in yeah. the ocean towns. That's right. So there's absolutely no reason why all of us can't you know, live that very health, healthy life. Exactly. And I think Biome's on the same path with a brilliant technology behind it. How do you see the future unfold? We have an epidemic of these mysterious spectrum kind of disorders that doctors can't diagnose. And many patients are frustrated because they're sent home literally told that they're crazy and that they need to go see a psychiatrist, right? Yes, I was I mean, told that. How infuriating is that where modern medicine simply cannot help you? And so while modern medicine is fantastic at things like surgeries and chemotherapy, right, and there's obviously room for improvement, these sort of mysterious spectrum disorders are, are, are very, very, very poorly understood. And so um, Viome is, is not about if we're going to succeed. We are absolutely going to succeed. There is no doubt about it. And the reason is because we didn't form Viome to make, to make money or become famous. We, f we formed Viome out of frustration because neither academia nor the pharmaceutical companies are actually solving the problem, right? If, if you know, academics are going to be publishing their papers and writing their grants, but they're not going to solve these applied science problems. And pharmaceutical industry has no interest in, in actually telling you how to prevent, uh, you know, acid reflux because their gigabuster PPI drugs are not going to make any money. Mm -hmm. So they not only are, don't, you know, they just don't want to. And so really, Viome has created this new space where we're going to scale as a business, as a for-profit company, where we bring these um, inexpensive tests that anyone can do at home, and that's all via technology. And the technology we have is the most advanced laboratory technology, the most advanced bioinformatics technology, the most advanced translational science technology, and the most advanced artificial intelligence technology, all put together under one roof. We all work together every single day and have created a platform that truly can digitize the human body and help everyone live to 100 years healthy. So now to answer your question, how we're going to, you know, what does the future look like? So the way we envision this, at least in my head, and, and most of my colleagues share that vision, 
is that in, in sometime in the future, in a few years, uh, the Viome app will be a personalized companion app, meaning you'll be able to interact with it via chatbot, via the chatbot, or via uh, voice. And so you'll be able to communicate with, with the app, and the app will be informing you about when to exercise, when to sleep, uh, you know, do, to do fasting and what kind of fasting or not to do fasting. Some people benefit from fasting, others don't. It will teach you how to cook, when to cook. It'll compute completely new recipes that your entire family can enjoy based on overlapping food ingredients for your entire family. For example, in my family right now, we have three family members and all three of us have different recommendations. And so we have to cook you know, quite a bit more you know, foods than we would normally cook. And so even though we love cooking, it's fine. But for us, it's a little more challenging to cook. For others, they may give up and say, you know what, that's just too much work. And so the app will enable families to actually cook foods that are good for all of them. And so this is what's coming in the future. And via our clinical research programs, we are now just on the, on, on the, at the starting point of starting several clinical trials that for the first time will show in a double-blinded blinded, placebo-controlled fashion that food can actually be medicine, that we can in fact treat, prevent, and reverse chronic diseases. And when we show that, now pharmaceuticals are going to lose that sort of crown as the only intervention that you can use to treat diseases. You can actually have personalized machine-learned algorithms where based on our measurements, you eat exactly what you're supposed to and you avoid what you're supposed to and you can actually treat diseases. That's sort of the next phase of IOM is to run clinical trials and we're very, very busy engaged in that. Personalized doctor of tomorrow. That's really what it is, isn't it? Yes. It's, yes. Uh, it's, it's the only way we will get to where we want to, which is a world of health and a world without chronic disease. I thank you, Momo, for dedicating your life to this. Um, you, you, you're a great contributor, as they say, to, to our world. And, uh, and I wish you the very best. We here at Heal Circle are big fans. So thank you again. And for the rest of you, keep in mind, you are unique. You are not everybody else. You cannot adopt food habits that are being touted by celebrities or uh, by the latest diet, latest fad. You have to understand what your unique microbiome print looks like and what is it that your body is going to flourish and nourish on versus decay on and that at this point to me is the holy grail that is the answer to how we prevent and how we reverse disease so take charge um, i don't get paid by uh, biome i know i'm just a big fan we are a nonprofit. we don't get compensated in any way shape or form so i'm going to say that um, with that said Go get tested. Go figure out what is it that your body is craving and what is it that your body just doesn't want you putting in it and take that first step to getting to greater health. Thank you so much. Stay smiling. I'm going to see you on the next Healthier Podcast. Thank you, Rena. That was awesome. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.